Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Dear Ruby podcast. I am your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq, and along with my co-host, Bo Humphreys, Dear Ruby aims to answer all your personal finance questions. Those questions could be about retirement, student debt, should you buy that new car or get into a used model, or how much will my divorce cost? Nothing is off the table. Since the start of the pandemic, we have been laser focused on all the ways the economic slowdown caused by COVID-19 is affecting your personal finances. Canadians have a lot of questions about all the emergency benefits that have been brought in to help us financially, and we are here to answer them to the best of our ability. This week, we will break down all the big news stories of the week and how they affect your pocketbook and answer your personal finance questions. You can always reach us to ask your questions at DearRuby.com and on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, Bo. Hey, Rubina. How are things going? How's everything been this last week? I'm excited about the uh, playgrounds finally opening because the worst thing about taking a baby for a walk and to play in a park is just looking at all the playground stuff and just running towards it and having to pull them away. So even though a lot of the stuff is too old for him still, at least he can go and touch things now and spin a wheel or whatever. So that's that's my exciting uh, phase three uh, revelation for you. <laughs> yeah, and it seems the entire province now, because we're here in Ontario, is in phase three. So a lot of those playgrounds are now open. And I'm with you, you know, like taking your kids to the park and saying, hey, you can't touch all this stuff that's made for you. It's confusing because for years, obviously, they've been using it without any problem. In fact, when I get to the park, the first thing I say is, go to the playground. This is why we're here. And now I'm telling them, get off the playground. You're not supposed to be there. So I can only imagine how it's confusing for a little boy who's looking at this colorful playground going, why can't I, why is my daddy not letting me have fun on this thing? Well, what's good about all of this stuff happening so early in his life is like masks, for example. He doesn't see masks as some scary thing or, or confusing. He actually just, when he comes out of the daycare and I'm wearing a mask, sometimes I'm wearing a mask and sunglasses and he just says, Papa, Papa, <laughs> right? He knows it's me already because like, I look like me still just with the covering. Mm-hmm. I think maybe once he was unsure, but uh, it's like if he sees my eyes at the very least, you know, he knows that it's it's me. So he's just getting used to the way that it is. I don't have to explain it to him, really, because there's nothing to explain. He doesn't even understand most of the things I say. So he's of that age. I can imagine what's it been like with your kids uh, having to explain certain things to them. Uh, you know, because they're at the age where we can actually explain it to them in facts, you know, say that the, yeah. the fact is that there's a virus out there. The fact is, is that it is extremely dangerous if you got it and it, you can pass it to your grandparents and it's really dangerous for them. So we can actually so put it that. into realistic terms. Good. Yeah, they get Good. that. Yeah. And my son will ask questions like, when the virus is over, can we do this? So he's really, you know, he's being pragmatic almost like, hey, yeah, I know we can't nice. do this now, but can we do it then? they're fine with it. I mean, they both have masks that they put on. They complained a little bit the first time, but now they know if you want to come to the store with me, you have to wear a mask. So it's either that or you don't go. So they will wear the mask because they want to go. Even when it comes to classes, now we know what's going to be happening in Ontario when it comes to school reopening. Children grade four and up have to wear a mask, but both my kids are under that age. So grade three and my son is an SK. But I think I'm still going to send them to school with masks. If they wear it 50% of the time, that's 50% better than not wearing it, right? 
There's a funny um, a tweet, a tweet or meme uh, that says uh, your kid's going to go to school with a Spider-Man mask, trade it for a Batman mask, and the next day the school's going to be closed. Yeah, you know, I know. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that sort of crossed your mind. Like, I mean, your kids seem more responsible than most kids. I don't know. That just the feeling that I get. Are they? Do they feel I that don't, way? I don't. No? I don't. I wouldn't know. I, I don't think that they're more <laughs> responsible. I think that like Ron and kids. I... Yeah, Ron and I raised them in the real world. That's kind of always been my my sort of uh, point of view. Even when it comes to things like Christmas, I've never been like, hey, Santa Claus is this fictional person that comes in our house and gives us presents for doing nothing, right? <laughs> Except for being good. Yeah, that's so, oh, yeah, wow. What a what a trip to put on a kid, eh? Yeah, so I don't I don't do that. Like even with the tooth fairy, like I don't I don't feed them fa- fantasies because I feel like then there'll come a point where I have to burst that bubble and I don't want to go through that either. So I'll just from the beginning tell the truth. That was terrible. um, Yeah, why do we do this? (laughs) I don't know. And parents get angry at me for like sometimes letting things slip, like like Santa Claus is not real. And they're like, well, you know, we have the attitude that we want magic of Christmas. I'm like, why can't magic of Christmas be with you? Like, why can't you be the magical person that creates an amazing Christmas? Yeah. Why does it have to be something fake and like unreal and completely unrealistic? So yeah, this could be, we could have a whole podcast episode about this. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I think we should, I think we should about how parents set their kids up for failure uh, later in life by um, not letting them understand where things actually come from. You know, like it costs money for Christmas. It costs money when I put 20 bucks under your pillow, when you lose your tooth. These things don't come out of nowhere. Not to continue and make the whole episode about this, but you're absolutely right. It, 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 people get this idea that I have to get Christmas presents. I see it all the time in, in, my, in my day job, right? They're like, I feel so bad that I couldn't afford them this year, right? And the only excuse that they seem to be able to have is going through insolvency. And even then it's tough. Not this year, right? This isn't the time. But you're right. It's because of those ingrained things over time. Like it's some kind of duty to, to, to society to do this, right? Very interesting stuff. Yeah. And the pandemic, I think, just to sort of shift our focus back to the mm-hmm. pandemic, the pandemic, I think, has kind of helped us realize how unnecessary those things are. Like birthday parties out the window, people getting yeah. married virtually, you know, major holidays canceled. And we're still surviving. We're still happy. Yes, there is a lot of focus on our mental health and how we're coping well being, you know, pretty much isolated, even though we are now allowed to do a lot more things. But we're not exactly allowed to go. Like if you and I wanted to go to a nightclub on Saturday night, we can't do that. And that might be something that we enjoy doing and we can't do that anymore. If we wanted to go to a festival, we can't do that because all the festivals are canceled. So a lot of the things that um, we are, you know enjoy doing without even thinking about it, they're not around anymore. And yes, it's affecting people's mental health because they're not as social. But stripping that part away, generally speaking, families are doing fine by not going on vacation, by not having big birthday parties, by not having to. And in fact, I've heard even anecdotally, a lot of um, my mom friends saying it's kind of a relief to not have to plan anything. Like there's no pressure. Like I don't have to have anybody over. And if they do come, they bring their own food and their own cup and they take it with them. And it's so easy now to like do things because I don't have to serve anybody. Right. And that's a one big thing about the summer is that a lot of women, uh, because women tend to do a lot of the housework when it comes to hosting, uh, get yep. run off their feet because every weekend people are coming and there's barbecues and fun and then there's the cleanup and the planning and everything else that goes into it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and, and you know the, the thing about all of this stuff is that um, we only do it because that's how it's been. 
because mm-hmm. we were, because society was built that way a, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So there was nothing stopping us. It wasn't because like that's how life has to be. There, there's no one saying that this is how you have to live your life. You got to have a, a birthday party and, and, and get together at Christmas and go out to dinner every week and go to the movies. And this is just all stuff that develops slowly because uh, the, the economy and, the, and society allowed for it and people enjoyed it. But it's, there was never anything like this in the way of it. And now 100%. there is, and we we have to we have to adapt instead of um, crying like let's get back to the way things were. The way things were were like that w- because there wasn't a virus floating around. That's the only reason they were the way that they were. And yeah. people are forgetting that, right? Yeah. People just want to make the virus go away. And again, I do say this probably too much. That's why all this is happening in the U.S. because they just decided to make it go away in their minds. Yeah, exactly. It's like close your <laughs> eyes; it's not even happening. I know. You know. That's, that, oh, it's it's made it so much worse that we have this mentality, and and we're all struggling with it. I mean, in the, mm-hmm. the U.S., it's being it's uh, there's evidence of of, of it uh, uh, hurting people. Uh, we all have it here, but it's more of uh, it seems more of an internal struggle because mm-hmm. we have such low cases and we're we're following the rules mostly. Um, but uh, we'll talk about it in a bit. Maybe mm-hmm. it's too soon for some of the uh, mm-hmm. phase three stuff, right? So maybe all of us aren't following the rules. Yeah, so the big news this week was, I mean, the uh, the CERB, I think, which has sort of dominated our conversations uh, since we started talking about... <laughs> so many um, people on it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've answered many questions about CERB, who qualifies, who doesn't, you know, what if I work a little bit, what happens to my benefits? Uh, and, and we welcome all those questions. You know, people are still on CERB, and we welcome any question that you might have. And I think people are going to have even more questions now that the government has announced that CERB is going to be coming to an end. There was some question of whether they were going to continue the CERB program past uh, the end of September. Uh, this is $2,000 every four weeks. Uh, they had it first for uh, for 12 weeks, so uh, rather for 16 weeks, and then they extended it for another uh, another eight weeks after that. So really, someone could be on CERB for six months. Um, if they needed to, if they needed that money, and um, that would be you know that that would be money that's we've already talked about this many times that would be taxable income. So that's something that they would have to watch out for. But now they're saying CERB is coming to an end. It's going to be transitioned to something that's going to look like EI. So for example, if you lost your job in March, you started taking CERB, you would still uh, qualify if you worked in a full time position, for example, for unemployment insurance as long as you made up the hours. I believe it's six hundred hours full time uh, that you have to be working in order to get the full EI benefits based on your income. So now the government is saying you will have to transition into that. And unemployment insurance has an end date as well. I believe it's one year that you can take it, about a a year's worth of unemployment insurance. Uh, But they want, they are ready for the influx of people that are going to apply for EI now. And they also say that they they are, they have the money to, to manage that. Really now the government is trying to get companies to hire people back and take advantage of the wage subsidy program, which they brought in, which has been extended till the end of the year, because that's going to get businesses up and running and make them just that much more viable once uh, coronavirus is no longer an issue and we are all, all inoculated. Those businesses aren't going to be like, I haven't done anything for 18 months. My business is dead. I can't get it up and running again. They actually had some... some um, some productivity and some business activity happening so that they are able to survive after the after the pandemic is over. Yeah, the, the, it was never meant to be a, a replacement uh, income for this long. It's not replacement income for a lot of people anyway. It's not not enough for most. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
you know, it, it makes sense that it would end and that whatever this new transitional parallel benefit uh, that, that they're talking about, uh, so, uh, you know, similar to, yeah, they haven't kind of rolled out the details yet. Am I right? I, I feel like maybe I missed that. No, no, no. You're totally right. So they only announced this at the end of last week. Um, yeah. So we just now, because they were wait, everyone, Canadians were waiting to hear what's going to happen, you know, because obviously the pandemic is not over. And we are now looking at perhaps a second wave where things might get locked down again. Um, schools across the country are expected to reopen in September. And so a lot of people are worried that that is going to cause uh, the virus to spread more quickly and, um, you know, start to create uh, situations where, Areas may have to be locked down, maybe entire provinces again be locked down because um, the outbreak is just too much. Uh, but I believe, you know, we can get into the school situation later, but I do think the yeah. right thing is to send kids back to school. Um, send them back to school with all the tools they need. So whether it's masks and give the teachers the tools they need, uh, all the PPE they need. And, you know, let's get try to resume life. Um, as it was before the pandemic started, but with all the safety protocols in place and with the understanding that this is just a temporary situation. If the the, the virus, um, if there's a breakout again, we need to go back into the sort of situation we were in in April. Yeah, this is the time for us to do this, right? It, mm-hmm. Because our cases are so low. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, as much as I would be comfortable working from home forever, if we don't have a full change of infrastructure, which means like a full change to to the employment, the way we go to work, the way kids go to school, right? The only reason why we're all panicking is because there's still this expectation that the nine to five is, is in existence, right? Mm-hmm. If that, if if people wanted to change the way kids go to school and change the way the the our society runs, then we could sort of move on, right? But instead, mm-hmm. we but I don't think anyone's ready for that. That's what it sounds like, right? No one's ready to completely change the structure. Uh, for first of all, kids uh, can't stay home because the parents have to go to work. So if mm-hmm. the parents still have to go to work, then that dictates the rest. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming back when there are, when there's low risk with again, like you said, the the safety measures in place, that's sort of first try. And if mm-hmm. for some reason all that doesn't work, then we can think about more extreme things like, hey, you know, maybe nine to five doesn't work anymore. Maybe that's a relic of the days when you could go and work a full day and your kids could go to school and everybody was fine. Right. We need to recognize that this is everything is different. So, yeah, let's make an effort without too much risk. Sure. I like this. I put the kid in daycare. Henry's in daycare. He seems fine. There's no outbreaks, small cohorts, right? This this is good. So if school goes like that too, if the kids can keep the masks on, if they can keep socially distant, if they can wash their hands one one at a time, one at a time in the sink in the back of the, the class, and it doesn't add an extra three hours to the day, mm-hmm. those kinds of considerations that everyone keeps talking about, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I think keeping uh, work from home. Uh uh, I think, like, I know that I'm going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. I know my husband will be. Many of the big banks, like TD Bank, announced that you know their employees are work from home for the rest of 2020. I I would think most of the banks are going to follow that. Um, so you know, there's been a lot of argument on on uh, on um, like the social media channels that I'm following. Like, well, if if like you can't go back to work, then why are we sending our kids back into the classroom? The problem is that the two don't work together. Yeah. And also, even if you take out, even if I'm a stay at home mom, right, and I'm able to like give all my attention to my children I'm not a teacher at the end of the day I'm not giving them the benefit of what a trained teacher who went to university and wrote all those exams and did all that training can give them so 
I can still do my job from home because I've already been trained to do it. I've got the tools to do it. And yeah, I'm missing my colleagues. Yeah, I, lo- I love going into the CBC and seeing my colleagues. I only used to go once, maximum twice a week. But yeah, we'd have some stimulating conversation, catch up sure. on some of the gossip or whatever was going on, right? So yeah, I do miss that. But it's not impeding my ability to create a, a really good quality product. Whereas my children doing online learning, it's actually impeding their ability to get a good education. So they need to go back into the classroom in order for them to start to be like the, the citizen that they're supposed to be, which is a grade three student learning grade three education from a person trained to actually teach it. What, what people, uh, if they're making that comparison, they seem to forget that uh, as adults, we've gone through all of our formative years already. Right. We've done this. So, you know, if I don't if I don't read any books or I don't read a book in a year, it's not going to make a difference to my life because I learned how to read and I'm very, very literate and I know how to write and everything and all that kind of stuff. And I have read books in the past so I can take time off from reading for the rest of my life if I want. But put that to a, an eight year old. If an eight year old doesn't read books, there's words that are going to be missed. Right. If they don't get correct education, mm-hmm. if they don't go to school and then and then on top of that, the socialization. We've been socialized. Right. Mm-hmm. We probably mm-hmm. have more socialization than we want mm-hmm. <laughs> as adults. Right. So we don't need the same things that the kids need. They need need this i'm glad henry's in daycare he mm-hmm. gets to experience things all the time he gets to to fall and and hit his face on things right i mean different things than he does here right but he does that all the time that's that i have to come to terms with that it's tough right to have an injured kid every five seconds but you know scrape knees and stuff that's that's life for, for kids you you and i we don't we i could live uh, the rest of my life without a scrape knee i'm pretty good Right. I, I've had enough. I don't need that. He does. And that's the difference. Right. They need life experience. They need education from actually trained people who, who do this. And the side benefit is allowing us to be able to be productive and live our lives, too. Yeah. So we've been talking right now about stage three reopening um, here in Ontario, where we're recording this from uh, most regions. I believe Windsor, Windsor, Essex is the only one still in stage two because yeah, they still have a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Big cities like Toronto are now in stage three, so you can go inside a restaurant and eat. Um, my friend uh, who went inside, to really inside, yeah. So oh, um, we um, we have friends that just live up the street. We've been meeting with them quite a bit, socially distanced in the backyard. And what we do is we just order, skip the dishes, or we go and get takeout because yeah. the food kind of comes in its own little containers, and no one has to cook anything or bring anything, and then we just eat in those containers, and then we just throw everything out. Not perfect. Some people might still say we're taking too many chances because we're sitting in the same area in the in the backyard. I'm not being as pedantic about which seats they sit in, which is how I was in the beginning. I'm still like, <laughs> you can sit wherever you want. When they do leave, I do um, I do disinfect everything. They have kids, so I disinfect the bathroom because they will have used the bathroom for sure. I tell my kids to use the bathroom upstairs. We're lucky enough to have enough bathrooms that you know we can use our own while they're here. But long story short, that's a unnecessary amount of detail for the story that I'm about to tell. Uh, but um, when they went to pick up the food, her, her husband was like, it was really weird. Like we went in the restaurant because now we're, I'm in Halton. So we're already in stage three uh, as of last week or week before. Um, he goes, I went in the restaurant to pick up the food and there was people eating in there. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, they're eating inside. <laughs> So, it's like the first time you see somebody shake somebody else's hand, you're going to be like repelled or disgusted, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Right. Th- those kinds of things, are, they're, they're so old school for us now. It's been like forever. It's been like 10 years or something since I've eaten in a restaurant. That's how it feels. 
Yeah, and it's going to feel like, okay, so this uh, Friday, we do have plans with that same couple, which we meet with all the time, to have a patio lunch at a restaurant that, okay. uh, you know, okay. has a, like, the restaurant is known for its patio. That's why we chose it, because we, we didn't want to just go to a restaurant with any old patio. I'm like, if we're going to go to a restaurant, it has to be a place where it was purposely built to have an awesome patio. It looks out yeah. into the on, on Lake Ontario. And anyways, we're going there. So I am a bit like, how's it going to be? And like, is it going to feel weird? But, you know, I, I feel like I'm ready. I'm okay. I'm okay to do it as long as we're safe about it. We're obviously going to drive our own cars and we're going to sit across the table. We're not going to share food or anything. But yeah, we, that was the same same husband that said, I can't believe they're eating inside. <laughs> it's like, oh my, it's like they're breaking the law. So I do want to point out, even though we are in phase three, that there are examples um, that show us that, you know, a, a lot of provinces, Alberta to be specific, that moved really quickly to open their economy um, are now shutting things down again, you know, because in Calgary, uh, they were in phase three much sooner than we were. They started opening up restaurants and hair salons and all the rest of it, places where you're in very close quarters. And um, now they're seeing a spike in COVID-19 cases. And um, I'm just worried as we move into colder times, like August, of course, is a hot month. But as September starts, we start moving into colder um, season. Um, is this too soon? Should we have stayed in stage two, which I think most people were pretty happy in stage two. We did. I didn't really need to be in stage three. Um, and, you know, are we going to see a spike in cases? Is it, What do you think? Do you think it's too soon for us to move, even though we flattened the curve and we have, you know, less than 100 cases over a, a quite a few days in the, in the province, which is really good? It's obviously not those of us that are working from home comfortably that are driving the phases, right, to, to switch, right? If You're right. We would be fine. I'm fine with my grocery delivery. I'm fine with not going places. Um, I I am more, much more of a, of a risk-averse uh, um, uh, person than, than most. So the... I, I don't know if I can answer that question. I, I, I don't think I have the motivation that everyone else does. I want to see society uh, get back to, you know, I want, I want people to have jobs again. Absolutely. Uh, but I don't know if it's too soon. It, it's, I don't know what's hovering below the surface. And I think, you're, like you said, we're finding that out from, say, the Calgary information. Um, to, see, to see it go from a single low single digits uh, back up to 252 active cases that feels a little bit devastating. Uh, I, I think that that would be a bit devastating if that happened, say, here, where we mm -hmm. have no, no cases, and then uh, everybody gets sort of back to adjusted normal, and then the cases come back, and then everybody's thinking, okay, what now? And is that, that's what's happening, right? They're thinking, what now? Yeah, and I think uh, what I'm hearing from the chief medical um, health officers, whether it be from the city of Toronto or the province, is that they do expect cases to rise now that we're meeting more. And we're allowed now in most places, Ontario, to have outdoor gatherings of 100, as long oh, as it's boy. socially distanced, inside 50. So, I mean, these are like pretty big numbers. Um, obviously schools reopening in September, you know, it's not just the children, but all the adults that teach the children that are going to be also, um, you know, around those kids taking, uh, whatever they pick up from them home to their own families. So there's a lot more, uh, opportunity for the virus to spread. So we will see higher cases. I mean, it's just, but we have to balance it with, uh, you know, how can we resume some kind of normal normality? Because a lot of people, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, 
their mental health is really affected by being isolated. Um, parents are, I mean, I know I am really looking forward to my kids going back to school so that I don't have to, you know, work on in the evenings or on the weekends. I can yeah. spend time with them. You know, I feel like all I do is neglect my children because the times when, you know, I have a bit of time that's free, I got to use it to work. You know, and then when they're other times I have to use it to like do laundry and fix food for them and go grocery shopping and things that they're not interested in. They just want to go to the park and have fun. So now I can actually do those things. So I'm sort of looking forward to being able to spend more time together as a family uh, because I'll be able to uh, starting in uh, starting in September. But I'm well aware that uh, we could easily go back to being in lockdown and we could easily see more and more people uh, contract the virus. As long as we're aware of that, right? Yeah, because it's, it's like you said at the beginning of our, our series uh, in that uh, famous tweet of yours that's got all the retweets and the, <laughs> the likes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all in this uh, together, but differently. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you you and I were there's similarities in terms of our situation, but I have this extra privilege of daycare now that makes a big difference. Right. We're both able to do our work. But if you had uh, uh, someone to what to take care of your kids during the week, then you would be inherently a million times more uh, comfortable. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was able to send my kids to a friend's house for a play date, uh, outdoor socially distanced play date. It was three hours and it was real. I mean, I don't think I got much done, but it was just nice to have. It was nice. Yeah, like I had a kind of a nice conversation with my neighbor. I know it sounds so trite, like to think that that's what I (laughs) sent my kids for so I can like talk to my neighbor. But I know for for the longest time I'd wanted to bring something up with her. I was able to do it without like my kids yelling and you know, like that. So nice conversation with her, came home. Uh, my husband and I set up a couple of things in the house that we've just been kind of putting off because they're always kind of, you know, like setting up my new computer. My my son especially is like, oh, my God, what's in this box? What's in this box? What's this? Like, it's all really hard sometimes to get things done. So we were able to just sort of get little, you know, kind of like sort of like stuff that lingers on the side that's not important, but it is important. And you just got to get it done so you can get it off your mind and, and move forward. And we take that stuff for granted uh, or we did. Right. And uh, no, not anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> every yeah, every all, it's all precious, especially if, uh, you know, I end up having to take two weeks off because you get sick of daycare. Uh, two weeks off of work in the future, which is always possible. And we're just got to be ready for this stuff. You gotta be ready for it to change, and it's it's a new uh, new world. Yeah, and um, you know, with the with the teachers, uh, with the sorry, with the schools reopening in September, there's been a lot of criticism as the way as to the way it's been managed, and uh, even like on the weekend, I was talking to family, and they're like saying, you know, I really think the teachers should have been consulted, and I actually kind of disagree. I feel like as much as you want to make sure that. You're, you understand how the classroom works. Really, the only one to consult is the health officials, right? If the health officials yeah. are saying that if you do it in X, Y, Z way, X, Y, Z way, I should say, we're not American, X, Y, Z way, <laughs> then it's okay. And then each board can decide how to implement those health and safety protocols rather than going to the teachers and saying, what do you think? How do you think your students are going to stay safe? Their teachers, their attitude is different about, you know, the way that they want to run their classroom. They don't have the health and safety training point. as doctors yeah. do. So you have to take really during a pandemic, public health and health officials are the two things that we should listen to. And so you can decide as a school board that, yeah, okay, we can we can implement these health and safety protocols, but we can only have classrooms of 15. So we've got to make sure that I mean, there's already some chatter that um, if 
school boards decide to have smaller classrooms because schools can decide to do that, there may be a waiting list for some students um, and they might have to do online learning or there oh, may be, wow. you know, so yeah. school boards can, de- it's like, this is what the health officials, health officials are saying is safe. And then school boards can decide how they're going to implement those safety protocols rather than going to the teachers and saying, what do you think of these safety protocols? Because that doesn't make any sense. Everyone's an expert now, right? Like 100%. everyone on Twitter, everyone on Facebook, every, uh, it's just, it can be exhausting. Yeah, you're right. We should, you know, we can we can ask people their opinion, you know, or, or let them maybe make their own personal decisions. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how things should go, yeah, it should be guided by safety. That's right, right. Like yeah, when you go to the doctor, she tells you or he tells you, Take your medication twice a day. They've told you how to take the medication. Now, if you decide to take it, you know, three times a day, that's you've decided that. That's up to you, right? For some reason, you've decided not to follow the rules that they told you are going to make you feel healthy. But then you can later, they can later go back and say, but that's not what I told you to do. I told you to take it twice a day. So it's kind of the same kind of thinking, right? Like what the doctor, if the doctor says rest for 10 days after a surgery, you're supposed to rest for 10 days. You can't be like, well, I've got this party I've got to go to on Saturday. So I was wondering if you'd be okay if I went. No, rest for for 10 days. Yes. (laughs) Doesn't matter if it doesn't work for you. You've got to, and if you decide not to, then you suffer the consequences because you decided that you wanted to not follow the advice of the health official. And give feedback. Let's get feedback from everybody as to how everything's going, right? And and uh, maybe they can use that to make better decisions, but it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's like an expert opinion, right, mm-hmm. um, on that. So, yeah, distinguishing those things is important for all of us to keep our sanity when looking at social media anyway. So the last uh, p- bit of news, Bo, I wanted to talk about, really nothing to do with COVID-19, but definitely something that got Canadians talking, okay. um, is that it was leaked that, I don't know if it was leaked, but it was found out that uh, CMHC, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which is a federal crown agency, uh, spent $250,000 to study, um, to ask the University of British Columbia to study what a capital gains tax on residential homes would look like if they decided because right now your primary residence that you uh, own is exempt from any any capital gains so if you buy your home and you own it for 50 years when you sell it all the gains go right into your pocket if you buy a home and you own it for three years all the gains go into your pocket they are not subject to tax so cmhc asked uh university of british columbia to look into what it would look like what the consequence would be if we started taxing principal residences which is something that does happen in the states homes um, if you're a single person, $250,000 is tax exempt, but after that, it is subject to tax. And if you're a couple, it's $500,000. So if you sell your home for a million and you bought it for 800000 and it's the two of you, you've got to pay capital gains on that $200,000. The thinking mm-hmm. is, the thinking behind this is like just going back to why they would even want to study this is yeah, that why? it may help keep home prices in check. So people would not be as um, willing to spend all their money to go into a home and, you know, bid over asking. They may think of doing other things with their money, diversification really being the key point here. So you're not putting all your money into your home. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to buy this home, but I'm also going to put some money in my RSP. I'm also going to buy, um, you know, other types of investments. I'm not just going to have my home as my only investment. I'm sure you heard of this story. I saw you tweeting about it. I wanted to get your take because you do deal with people who are really um, in the most financially precarious situations. Um, Do you think it would hurt or help people to have a a capital gains tax on your primary residence? Well, the the tweet that I uh, put out was uh, because Boomer and Echo uh, wrote, uh, Rob Engen wrote wrote a uh, a post about uh, uh, buying versus renting. 
and uh, the benefits of, of either. And one of the benefits people uh, uh, stated in, in the comments was that, hey, this, if, you, if it's your primary residence, it doesn't get, get taxed. But the question is, uh, most people don't, don't actually uh, leave that house, and they don't sell it. They stay in it. Right? But if, you, if you spent uh, 25 years paying off a house, if that was your main house, you're probably like, not, if you're going to get up and sell it, you're going to have to buy something way more expensive than you ever did because it's been so much time. And so what happens is you either use up that, uh, that uh, savings that you have to get the new place, or you never realize those, those uh, uh, capital gains, uh, uh, gains anyway, right? You, like, you, never, you never get that benefit because you never leave. So what's the point of something continuously going up uh, if it ne never matters? You can take $10,000 out of your house, I guess. You buy a home equity line of credit. But without going into debt, uh, you can't do that. Um, you, get, you should have to sell the house. Would it change the way people are, are actually going forward with this? I don't, I don't think a lot of people, I don't think that many people worry about that. It's, this is an investor thing. Most people buy a ha one house. And, and they live in it, or they go from one house to the next house. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the beginner house, the starter house, if mm -hmm. that was really taxed and you got some big gains, that might make a difference. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, or maybe um, if they were to bring, I think really why you would want this to come in, if, if I was to play you know, the other side of it and say, okay, yeah, a capital gains tax on your primary residence is a good idea, is that a lot of people are trying to flip homes and then calling those home primary residences. Yeah, so that would sort awesome. of stop those people. And that's where the speculation starts. And that's where home prices go up because these people have deep pockets and, or they have access to capital. So they're able to bid more and more. And so they might be squeezing out those families that are going to stay in that home 10, 15, 20, 25 years, um, or they're going to stay there and then move on to another home. So they're, you know, if they were to bring in a capital gains tax on primary residences, it could be that, um, you know, first of all, time limited, maybe yeah. it could be. So first of all, they would not be allowed, I would think, to do that retroactively like all of a sudden my parents who bought their home in 1978 oh, no. yeah, that would be terrible. it would be unfair right to tax them because their yeah. understanding of why they bought that place is different than so it would be like starting on this date you know january 1st 2022 any home bought will be subject to capital gains but maybe they could put another uh clause in there saying if you sell your home to buy a bigger home like to upgrade then you're not subject if you're using the proceeds of that sale to buy a bigger home like you know your forever home as they call it Maybe then it's exempt. Uh, they could also do how they do in the states that the first two hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand is exempt, and that would okay. really that would really cover most real estate markets in Canada because uh, most real estate markets. I mean, the average home price in Canada is still around five hundred thousand detached. So it would only really apply to places in Vancouver and Toronto where the home prices are much more than a million for a detached home, for example, in Toronto. Um, and then they could also, uh, you know, they could also uh, look at the fact that um, is it, did you stay there actually enough to call it a primary residence, yeah, right? Yeah, I like so, that rule. Yeah, is it actually, yeah. are you doing, it's like a, like a green card marriage sort of thing, right? It's like, yeah, it, yeah. you know, are you getting, are you, do you actually know each other? Do you, are you married for, for technical reasons or did you get married for, you know, because you wanted to get married? Like that kind of, so like, what's this house to you? Some kind of investigation. I don't know how that would work, but mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe wise. they could put a limit. They could say you are only allowed to sell one home every 10 years and call it a primary residence or one home every five years and call it a primary residence. And so then if somebody was living in a home for two and a half years, selling it, then living in another home for two and a half, three years, selling it, they could say, no, you've already, um, you've already exhausted your one sale of a primary residence. 
Um, you know, there could be ways. So really what they're trying to do, in my opinion, is to try to stop speculators who are taking advantage of the primary residence exemption and, you know, walking away with proceeds that maybe they're not owed. And so it, it's not really about, I mean, it would be disastrous for some people who um, have, you know, owned their home for 40 years. And now they're thinking, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell this downsize, use the proceeds for my uh, for my retirement. That would be disastrous if they tax those individuals. But they could put in clauses saying, okay, homes sold from this day on are subject to these new rules. Uh, your first X amount of money is tax-free. Uh, if you sell more than one home over five years, the second home cannot be called a primary residence. Things like that would, I think, immediately uh, bring home prices down because speculation would be out of the, the market. And it would help families who want to get into those homes, it would give them a little bit of a leg up, in my opinion, uh, because they wouldn't be uh, competing against uh, these developers who have really deep pockets and access to capital. The competition is just, it's what kind of threw me off when we were looking at houses uh, a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. uh, before before we uh, moved here and and Kayla went to med school. Uh, We were thinking about a house, right? And and, um, it's just, you know, we just got outbid every time and, and, uh, it's always going to be more than asking and that, that it pushes you up a little bit into that risky situation where uh, you really can't afford this cash flow wise. So yeah, anything that, that makes this more of a, a normal process as opposed to somebody has to be an expert to buy a house. That's what I'm finding is, is mm-hmm. that you have to like know your stuff inside out and, and uh, you know, what about just buying a house that you can afford and it all being a nice process? I would love that. Uh, that would be nice, but I don't find that the case. It's a very intimidating and and uh, uh, bothersome and overly complicated process to me. Well, I think because you also live in the Golden Horseshoe, you live in an area where home, homes sell quite quickly. A lot of people want to live in Hamilton. A lot of people want to live in the GTA. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have access to like most uh, most amenities that you could ever imagine. Um, but if you move into smaller places, I think the competition would be lower. So it's just a, it's the fact of living in an economic engine, really, that is doing well. Uh, people want to live here and that creates the competition. Uh, investors want to come in here and invest. And that obviously drives prices up as well. It's unfortunate for first time homebuyers uh, because it is like you do need to do the legwork and really be ready with your financing and know exactly where you want to live and feel comfortable buying the house that you're bidding on. Uh, but all of that it can, I can imagine it can be so frustrating and so kind of almost soul destroying because you fall in love with yeah. a house and then you can't have it. Right. Exactly. You can't, you it can't... happened to us many times. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I don't, I don't care to invest in real estate. It's not a, it's something that I enjoy. Right. So I just wanted to get a house that we liked. That's the downside. Uh, if you're just looking to buy a house, you're thrown into this process that is insane. Uh, it really is, or for, you know, from an outsider coming in saying, "Okay, you got to have a, a twenty thousand dollar check to give as a deposit," uh, you know, let alone having the actual down payment. Give me a break, right? Like, I'll I'll buy the house from you, right? But there's so much competition; they got to have it in their hands mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I can't even get one without waiting a day because my bank is tangerine, right? <laughs> uh, so it's like the, this doesn't work with the world these days, right? Let's, t- I mean. And the problem with real estate is, is that you're also dealing with individuals who are selling their home. It's not like you're dealing with a big business that could manage 
a, a home buyer not putting the deposit down and walking away and they could just sort of absorb that cost. So if yeah. I'm selling my home, my attitude is you better come with the check because I want to make sure you're serious. Like I don't want to reject yeah. these other offers unless it, you're serious, right? It makes sense, but it's just mm-hmm. such an intimidating process. Everybody's vetted. Everybody's this just to, you know, it's it, it just something I do not enjoy at all. And so I'm not looking forward to the next time. <laughs> well, something I do enjoy is this podcast, Bo. Uh, you know, every week meeting and talking about all the changes that are happening when it comes to COVID-19, how it's affecting our economy, how it's affecting Canadians' pocketbooks. We're starting to get into like a completely new conversation about getting, you know, the economy opening up, how we're now managing that, um, how it might, you know, how... We now may be spending money on things that we haven't spent on for the last three, four months, like going out to a restaurant. I don't know. Eating indoors is still not my thing. No, 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 no. I don't think I can. (laughs) I do not think I'm ready to go there for a long time. But I mean, many Canadians are. And so just to sort of keep top of mind that there may be a lot of pent up sort of energy. Like I want to get out there. I want to buy things. I want to do things. Still look at your own personal finances. Look at your own bottom line. Can you still afford it? And also look at the job that you're in. If you've been lucky enough to be working this entire time, is your job still safe if there's a second wave and and the economy is shut down again the way it was in March and April? So just be aware that if you are still working, it's still smart to put some money into an emergency fund. It's still smart to continue on all your Uh, You know, all the other things that you save for, whether it be retirement or your kid's education, don't slow any of that down. I'd say ramp it up, uh, especially the emergency savings part, uh, because we don't know where we're going to be headed. We don't know where we're going to be even a year from now. It's really hard for um, us, us to sort of guesstimate that. So the best thing you can do is pay down your debt and put money on the side for a rainy day because that's going to get you through um, uh, better than any other any other decision that you can make at this time. Savings is key. Yeah, yes, I, I also enjoy these uh, weekly conversations, so let's keep doing it. Yep, let's keep doing it. If any of you, if any of our listeners want to reach out to us, ask a question maybe about CERB being transi- transitioned to EI, because I know it's a really confusing process, uh, please write to us at dearruby.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. You can also find us on Twitter and on Instagram. You can message us that way. On the dearruby.com site, you can actually record a question and we'll play it on the podcast if you're comfortable with that. If you let us know that if we can play it, we will play it on the podcast and answer your questions to questions to the best of our ability this has been a great podcast Bo, and really you know lots of topics that we talked about uh i hope you have a wonderful week and uh we'll see you here next time see you next time bye